Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. And listen to the story. This story is taking place mostly in Bay Meadows near San Francisco. So we are oh. in California. Mm -hmm. 1956, California, The Killing. Now you have to put in The Killing 1956 movie because there are like uh, lots of different lot of things. things called The Killing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of options out there. All of which appeal to Gone with the Bushes. But it is free on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I thought, why didn't Erin already buy this? Okay. Well, I didn't Sorry. watch it in my, in my usual time. I watched it last night. And I checked to see if it was. Because I was like, why didn't Ma ask me why I hadn't already watched it? And so then that made me check if it was like for free somewhere. Yeah, um, it was worth it was worth the three ninety nine. Guys, ladies, gentlemen, human beings listening, it's on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. Stop. Hit pause. We'll be here. Watch yeah. it. Yeah, we're gonna spoil. Might it. I remind everyone that this was on a list of the best movies under ninety minutes. That's what I'm uh, saying. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I will intro. <clears throat> Stanley Kubrick lays bare the intricate inner planning of a racetrack heist by a deadly mastermind and his crew. <laughs> deadly mastermind. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think he was quite. I mean, it wasn't like a, what's he was his a name? mastermind. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There's just something about Sterling Hayden that I just I don't think of him as. Uh, mastermind. Yeah, but I guess a deadly one. I guess because he what does did we represent. What see him in before? We'll get to it because oh, okay. the whole time I'm like, I know this guy. He's I know. the guy in my mind. His his whole his whole shtick, his whole aura, is the man. He oh, seems yeah. so mediocre. I'm like, how is this guy a movie star? His whole like affectation, like how he talks, yeah. everything, just mediocrity ascending. But his um, name is his name. I remembered his name. I didn't. Okay, are we ready? The Killing. It came out May nineteenth, nineteen fifty-six. It was written and directed by one of the greats, Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick was born and raised in the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he started his career. He was a photographer for Look Magazine in the late 40s, early 50s. This wow. was I'm sorry to stop you. No, go ahead. I was last week years old when I learned that Stanley Kubrick was around then. Like yeah. that old. Yeah. Like he had a job in the forties. Well, he he did, but he was he was really young because he graduated from high okay. school in nineteen forty five. But so he had an above average IQ, but he didn't go to school a lot. He skipped school a lot. And he wasn't really into school. Probably because school bored him, I'm guessing. Probably. And oh, so he would never mm. say the word bore to a teacher. I know, but he he was um he had a above average IQ. So 
he was in school, I'm guessing he would get bored. <laughs> Ooh, she said it again. I'm just doing a towel. I've heard, I've heard teachers say that all oh, these kids acting out because he's bored in school. I've heard teachers say the B word. So, okay. Well, he, this was his first major Hollywood film. And he, this came out when he was 28 years old. Yes, he was only he 28. He was 28? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. He Other movies that he's done, we've done A Clockwork Orange and The Shining. <laughs> and he also did Doctor did Strange do Love. The Shining. Mm-hmm. That's right. okay. He's done a ton of movies. Nerd Alert. Like I mentioned, he had an above average IQ. But he had poor grades. Probably because he skipped school. He graduated high school in 1945. Now, this is important because due to his poor grades and also because 1945, the war had ended. So there were a lot of GIs coming home, taking advantage of the GI Bill. So the demand to get into college was super high. And he thus with his poor grades, he wasn't able to get into college. Hmm. He clearly didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah, but his dad was always very. He would have been bored in college too. I don't know. His um, well, he. So Stanley Kramer had Stanley Kramer. Stanley Kubrick had some harsh words for the American education system because he said that they didn't promote enough critical thinking, and he kind of like eviscerated them and stuff. Which, I mean, when you read what you say, like okay, exactly. so, in today's terms, and also he he's the one that got the poor grades, right? He didn't apply himself, and if he wanted to go to college, that would have been the first step was getting good grades. But the amount of spots were very limited mm-hmm. because of the GIs returning home. Today, he would go up against policies favoring individuals with legacy donors, mm-hmm. employees, mm-hmm. and athletes' admissions getting into colleges and universities. Did you know that over 70% of athletic scholarships go to white students? No, I did not know that. Yeah. You think because you see college sports and the money makers, such as basketball and football, that, oh, college scholarships, that must be going to minorities. But it's yeah, not. There's a hell of a lot of other sports out there, I guess, that... Right. Lacrosse. hmm So... I just learned this week that lacrosse is an indigenous... Was, it is. is it indigenous? Yeah. I did not know that. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently no. everyone else but me, but... Something else taken over by white people. Something else that's turned... Yes, I have Mm -hmm. only known it as a white people's... Like, rich white. Yeah. If you had column... We used to... When I was little, we used to say... Anybody who had columns on the front of their house... Like... (laughs) I don't know. It's like a balcony. Like, if you have columns in the... You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. That's how I considered you rich. So, if you had columns... And I guarantee 90% of the people I knew who had columns played lacrosse. Not in my school. My school didn't have a cross team, I don't think, but the, at the rich schools. Right. Well, yeah, lacrosse is big time in the mid-Atlantic, where we're from. And I knew it because Jim Thorpe was one of the best. Um, they talked about how great he was mm. at lacrosse. And then also Jim Brown, they said that he was probably the best lacrosse player of all time. Really? So, I hadn't heard that. That's interesting. 
Oh, yeah. That that was his major sport and what he was the best at was, like, forget football. It was Dang. lacrosse that he was amazing at. Oh, wow. So, and lacrosse was big at my school. They weren't very good, but <laughs> I knew a lot of people who played lacrosse. Um, so legacy donors, employees, and athletes, those are all policies that favor if you if you're you know you get legacy if you're you know somebody your parents give money employees to universities athletes that is all affirmative action and that is affirmative mm -hmm. action for rich white students yes exactly. so okay congratulations and shout out to the asian american community who realize and are like yo we are being used as pawns in this and as tools to uphold white supremacy mm -hmm. because that is exactly what happened and I just mm -hmm. wanted to point out that all of those things still in effect. Legacy donors, all of that, mm -hmm. still get preferential treatment. And that's always the legacy thing has always been the craziest thing to mm -hmm. me. Just because, because I remember that on like from flying to schools, and like you'd be like, well, so and so is definitely gonna get in because their dad went there or whatever, whatever. It's like, what? That's crazy. Like, there's a ton of people out there that have dumb kids that can't get in there. And they're yeah. just going to be able to go into the clog up a spot. Guarantee they don't want to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're going to party. W. W. Yeah. And the, the thing, the uh, athletes, the scholarships, that's what Varsity Blues was about. That whole scandal. That's mm -hmm. that. No, all rich white people. Also, to go back to this, 1945, remember I was saying like the GIs are coming home. That's not black GI. No, it's yeah. only white GIs. That's white GIs. So those white GIs coming home, taking advantage of the GI Bill because they went fought for their country, and they're like, okay, we're going to give you great loans for for houses, not black people. We're going to give you great this education so you can go to colleges. Now, all of your legacies, because you went to that college on the GI Bill, guess what? They get preferential treatment to go in. Mm -hmm. But, oh, affirmative action based on race no congratulations everyone we live in a, a colorblind society yeah, yeah, determined this week. It, i mean just, racism just solved has been it. solved yeah, we, we had solved a black it. president we don't you know? need it anymore no don't need it anymore so awesome happy birthday america america being america since 1776 shout out crispus atticus black man shot killed first for america so <laughs> just say it because, you know, it's the 4th of July weekend. We got a happy birthday, America. The dialogue is by Jim Thompson. <laughs> Left turn. Well, I mean, America, what more can I say? America yeah. be american -y since before 1776. Maybe I could say since 1619, but oh, <laughs> Uh, it's controversial. Oh. Um, the dialogue is by Jim Thompson. He is known for his hard-boiled crime fiction. Um, oh, hard-boiled? Mm -hmm, such books as The Killer Inside Me, The Getaway, and The Grifters. And these were all turned into films as well. And he also wrote other things. So be on the lookout, Teeny. It's based on... So he did the dialogue. That's why the dialogue is on. Yeah, you see, but Johnny, Johnny, like all that hard-boiled dialogue. It's based on the 1955 novel Clean Break by Lionel White, 
who also wrote The Snatchers, The Money Trap, and The Big Caper, among mm-hmm. many others. It's edited by Betty Steinberg, who also edited The Abductors and Madison Avenue. The music is by Gerald Fried, who also worked on many well-known television series, such as Mission Impossible, Gilligan's Island, Star Trek, and Roots. The director of photography is Lucian Ballard, who did the 1935 version of Crime and Punishment, which I thought was funny because I just mentioned that last week. And The Parent Trap and The Wild Bunch, the cast. Sterling Hayden as Mm -hmm. Johnny, as Johnny, Johnny Clay. He, so I'm like, watch it. I'm like, this guy, we've done a movie with him. What was it? It was The Asphalt Jungle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Asphalt Jungle. The Cincinnati. Yeah, remember? Queen City. See, there you go. He was also in Johnny Guitar and The Godfather and Dr. Strangelove. We have Colleen Gray as Faye. She was in oh, Nightmare Faye. Alley, <laughs> Red River, and Las Vegas Shakedown. Ooh. We have Vince Edwards as Val Cannon. He was Dr. Ben Casey in a very popular television show from 1961 to 1966. <laughs> yes. Yes, very, very popular. Did you watch it, Ma? Babs was in love with him. Oh. What TV show? Ben Casey. And they... Um, Never heard of it. At that time, the doctors wore a white shirt that buttoned up the side and then had two buttons at the collar, and he always had his two buttons down so his collar came down a little bit oh so he looked like a barber doctors used to yes, look like barbers exactly exactly <laughs> oh like yeah i guess he was a neurosurgeon so that must be wild early 60s neurosurgeons like we'll just poke around until <laughs> yeah <laughs> um we have jc flippin as marvin unger he, in real life, was discovered by the famous black comedian Burt Williams. Remember we saw a bunch of Burt Williams when we yes. went to the thing? Yeah, he was in, like, vaudeville, and he was discovered by Burt Williams. He was also in Oklahoma and Cat Blue and Winchester 73 and so many other things. Yeah, he looked familiar to me. We have, is it Elisha Cook Jr.? Okay. E L I S H A. Elisha. Yeah. Elisha Cook Jr. He is George Petey. He was also in The Maltese Falcon, The Big Sleep, and Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Marie Windsor as Sherry Petey. <laughs> Man, she cracked me up. She, <laughs> she, she was in Force of Evil, The Narrow Margin, and Freaky Friday. She was in so many B-movies that she was known as the queen of B-movies. Yeah. The queen and bee. The queen That's bee. what I would have called her. And she, this is a nerd alert. She was, uh, this was her specialty kind of role, the femme fatale. That was what, that was her bread and butter. Uh, she, she did it well. Yeah, but here's the thing. In real life, she was politically conservative and a lifelong Mormon. Wow. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. I was just like, huh, interesting. Well, it's acting, but... Yeah. Interesting. She wasn't wearing the white underwear, that's for sure. Well, I think she was, because she was lifelong, and this is, like, you know, 
back in the day Mormon, like not super back in the day Mormon, but um, like 50s Mormon, which is still like pretty, pretty Mormon. Mormon, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. So guessing she did do the whole underwear thing. James Edwards as the track parking attendant. Oh. Mm-hmm. He was in Anna Lucasta. And he oh. was also in Home of the Brave and the Manchurian Candidate and Patton. Okay. We have Timothy Carey as Nikki Arcane. <laughs> Ooh. Nikki. He, he, that guy, that actor, Timothy, he's known for playing a uh, manic and violent character. So this was, this was his specialty. Um, Didn't he remind you of John Turturro? Yeah, he and then he did a lot of like clenched teeth and like yeah. weird things, and I'm like, basically oh, he's yeah. a Tarantino character. <laughs> right. Quentin Tarantino was hugely influenced by this film, and I could see a lot of actors being hugely influenced by Timothy Carey. Like, oh, what we can do that? We can just be weird, and it's <laughs> it works. He was also in East of Eden, The Wild One, and One Eyed Jacks. We have Cola. Kuarnani as Maurice. He was known in real life as Nick the Wrestler. And he was a professional wrestler and chess player. Oh, was he the he was the Russian? Mm-hmm. The Russian. Well, I'm guessing he was probably Georgian, but <laughs> yes. Not Georgia, Georgian, but Georgian. Georgian. Got it. Russian, Georgia, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see this, but this is according to Wikipedia, uncredited onlooker Rodney Dangerfield. That's what I heard in oh. the um, in the um, the area where the bets are, you know, the cashier cage and the bar. So getting great no to respect. have them right next to each other. Uh, Might have had on a red necktie, but we wouldn't have seen it. So those are the particulars. And very good. The movie starts at a racetrack with intense music. (laughs) We hear a voiceover. I wrote down everything the voiceover was, and I chose to not put it here because it was a lot. That was a lot of voiceover. That was a lot. There's there's a tasty titty about that. We hear a voiceover of a man telling about Marvin Unger and his disinterest in horse racing. We see a note with an address being passed to a cashier in the betting cage, as well as the bartender. We see a policeman go into a club and ask his loan shark for more time. All of them are part of the crew to pull off a $2 million heist. Mm. What could go wrong? Rather concise, yes? Mm-hmm. Mhm. Now, POC. Wow, I didn't. Oh, first of all, I'm assuming most of the jockeys were um, people of color, as far as from um, the southern. Uh, uh, um, are you saying that most of the jockeys were, were people of color because of lawn jockeys? No, 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 no. I'm talking about um, not not black. They were um, um, uh, uh, Hispanic. Oh. Not Hispanic. Latina. Latino. From Sp- I don't know. We didn't see them up close, did we? 
Yeah, he didn't. But in the smaller stature and stuff, exactly. probably, honestly, I mean, no disrespect, but it's probably of the indigenous, probably really indigenous um, people from Spanish speak, Spanish colonized countries. Well done. I knew you'd come up with a way to say it. I had to, to eventually. It. Yeah, because it was hard. Was, you know, you can't, like, there's a, they're, they're shorter in stature. And, and weight. Mm-hmm. Not shorter in weight, but, but they have to weigh a certain amount. Um, and so, but isn't really it? It's just all, any people, so just, like, shame on us for you just assuming that it's, like, Spanish-speaking. It's, it could be, like, short the Romanians. It could be uh, Irishmen. Yeah. yeah. But um, at at this point in time in 2023, it seems like most of the jockeys are from um, Spanish speaking. And the reason they're Spanish speaking is because of colonization. <laughs> and then I had, wait for it. Page. Um, okay. My we, had, we had uh, one um, black man sweeping the um, all the tickets that get thrown down because you didn't win. They really made a mess in there. Yeah, they always do. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. that way. Really? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't like that. Two people were in, in that area of the racetrack, uh, a man and a woman, and maybe another person. The parking lot attendant. So there were um, and three three stable workers were feeding the horses. Because um yeah, but there's only one person of speaking. Yeah, he had a speaking role. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have it right here. One sweeping, one parking lot attendant, two at the track. That's so cute. Um, so. Uh, others, Aaron had already others, so we're to cast. Mm-hmm. Well, before, Aaron, I'll let you take it away. Before cast, I have a class not cast. So mm-hmm. the two street thugs that I'm going to label as the expendables because mm-hmm. they were the ones that they were just hired for a set price to do a right. set thing, and they didn't know anything about it, and that was Nikki. I don't know what Nikki what like Nikki's deal, but Nikki seemed to be in the in the. That's why, because I wonder. I was thinking about like you know what I did in the Dirty Dozens, talking about like cast, but then I wondered if it was class and not cast, because if you attained a certain amount of money, then you would be into the upper, the upper cast. You know, I don't know. Remember, because there's a, the thing with cast and class is that with cast, based on skin color, you can never, because your skin color is always mm-hmm. going to be the same, mm-hmm. so you can never ascend to a different, to, you know, transcend the cast. But in this case, that's why I'm like, is this class or cast? Because you have Nikki, and although he is driving a Jaguar, <laughs> so that was interesting, but he definitely had you know, uh, Southern European features going on. Yes. And just a whole interesting vibe, shall we say. Mm -hmm. 
And then you have Maurice, the Georgian wrestler. So he had his thick accent and he was very burly. And when he took his shirt off, extremely hairy, man. Mm-hmm. So much hair on the back. And so they, I thought it was just interesting that those, you know, they didn't, he didn't go out and hire, you know, blonde, blue-eyed dudes to go out and carry out this. Right. And and they were expendable because it was like if they get pinched or they get killed or whatever, there's nothing to tie them back right. to the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So for cast, there's just the scene mm-hmm. with Nikki and the parking attendant. Oh, yeah. So the whole, not the whole thing, but part of a bit, a significant part of the plan is involved for Nikki. He was a, a rifleman, a sharpshooter. So he has to go and he has to park in this special lot that is going to be able to see the horses coming around because he's going to do his um, uh, John Wilkes Booth, if you will, mm-hmm. on one of the horses, assassinate the leading horse. So that it puts into confusion and they're able to stage the other part of this caper. So the parking lot isn't open when Nikki wants to go there. And the attendant is a black man played by James Edwards. And he's like, hey, man, no, you can't come in. And James, the parking attendant, James Edwards character, he's having like he he's laying down the law. He's he's not. um submissive or anything to this white man pulling up he's like look no you can't go in there that it's not open yet no i don't care and then nikki lays on the i'm a paraplegic i got a bum leg and then my man's like yeah i got a bum leg too and nobody gives a fuck about me so right right what do you want me to do about it and then nikki's like and then it wasn't even nikki it was the the parking attendant he goes, well, wait, did you get it in the war? And then Nikki was like, yeah, I got it in the Battle of the Bulge. And so you're led to believe, at least I, my interpretation of, is that James, the parking attendant, was also injured in the war, and that's mm-hmm. how he got his bum leg. But, you know, he's being a parking attendant now because he wasn't allowed, allowed to go to school on the GI Bill, and he wasn't allowed to purchase a home because of the GI Bill. And so he's a parking attendant and has to put up with these people talking crap and disrespecting him all the time, not showing him any sort of human decency. And so Nikki, so then he feels empathy towards this man who was in the Battle of the Bulge. And and he, because Nikki is a very weird character. So it kind of feels almost like, okay, here's this wounded veteran. I'm a veteran myself. Mm -hmm. And then... Nikki, like, he he gives him money. He's like, here, here's, he tries to give him, you know, like, pay, you know, paper money in the, to park there. It was only 25 yeah. cents. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice, nice little tidy sum. And the guy is like, oh, wait, he, he lets him go through because he thinks that he's a veteran. And this guy was actually um, talking to him like a normal like a normal man. He he mm-hmm. wasn't playing like this, you know, white power trip, like, hey boy, go and move the thing. Like he was talking to him as another human being. And and I I guess like the parking attendant was so starved for that because we see like later in the scene. So oh, then no. he moves the fence, which the fence was what, made of balsa wood? It was the most flimsy fence ever. Nikki goes in, he gets to park, and then 
the parking attendant, there's a scene where he comes back later. There are more cars in, so the the lot has obviously been open. But this guy, he's like, oh, look at... He kind of feels... He feels sorry for Nikki, this wounded veteran who just wants to sit in his car and watch the race. And he goes and gives him, uh, I think, like a horse... Pa- like the pamphlet or the program for the day. Mm-hmm. And we, the audience, know that... Man, this guy, like, Nikki just wants to be left alone because he has to shoot a horse. <laughs> you know, it's just, he doesn't want to be bothered. But this guy is, he's just going above and beyond to be friendly to this man who he is taking pity on because he knows what it's like to have people, you know, treat you as being less than. So he's just being super nice to him, even though Nikki was not. Very like he wasn't super nice to the parking attendant at no. all, you know, and it was just the sliver of hope. And it was. And so then there's another. So then he leaves. He doesn't get the hint. And then he comes back. The parking attendant comes yeah. back yeah. when Nikki like it's a like Nikki's got a, this is Nikki's showtime. You know, He's like now you're fucking with Nikki's money and. He, the parking attendant, has the horseshoe, a lucky horseshoe, and he's like, "Hey, well, who are you betting on?" and all of that. And then he, Nikki's trying to, you know, be polite and shoo him away, but he's just like, "Hey, man, I just..." And this was the part that made me cringe the most was when the parking attendant was like, "Hey, man, I just want to thank you for like really treating me like I a know. human being." Yeah. I was like, "Oh my gosh," because he wasn't even being that nice to no. you. It would have been cool if you were just like, "I just saw this lonely white guy, and he's a paraplegic, and he's a veteran, and I just thought that like I would be nice to him." But then it it makes him this weird like, what's the word for it? Like sniveling you know what i'm saying like needy needy and and weak and needy and so nikki has to get rid of him so what does nikki do to get rid of him call him the (laughs) n-word basically get out of here n-word can't you see um, I don't want then your friendship or anything. It's you. You're the problem. So then that pretty much just opens up the, the you know just the the huge soul wound that this guy has been walking around with, and he just throws the horseshoe down and leaves, and then that comes in later. But mm-hmm. it, it's just basically just weaponizing cast to get rid of this guy, which I'm kind of glad that that the movie has it the scene in it even though i don't like how they turn the parking attendant into this oh mm-hmm. man you're just so thanks for being so nice to me and treating he me like became, a human he's being like Faye. he became like Faye. yeah all of a sudden but i do like that they he that scene is in there and it does show this the social dynamic and that at any time mm-hmm. like a white person can just weaponize cast and use it to their benefit and just like who cares what about this guy who's just being super nice and compassionate and just letting you do what you want to do and then it gets thrown back in his face. And Nikki didn't really have a limp. I no, he was lying the whole time. Yeah, he saw that the right? parking lot attendant had a limp, and so he go, so he used that to get what he wanted. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, any other cast? No. I have one of a very different kind. Ooh. Mm. The um the difference between the working horses, like the Clydesdales mm. and the thoroughbreds. You know? Oh. Could you mm-hmm. yeah, did you see the difference? 
like they're the the ones that had to pull the um the starting gates because mm. you saw that same scene like 17 times in here mm -hmm. how the the six white Clydesdale the big strong horses and then the thoroughbreds get to go and get in the gate because um they were of different classes in horses yes mm -hmm. so we, we have class not cast maybe another mm -hmm. that's true but i wonder if they do, do the clydesdales get the hot shots and the like all the horrible abuse no. that the thoroughbreds do no, no. <laughs> Uh, no. Okay. Um, so now we are to nerd alerts. Um, I had my horse thing in nerd alerts, so I kind of jumped the gun, as it were. Any other nerd alerts? Um, I had a nerd tasty titty. Okay. Uh, in, ow, I'm sorry. I heard no. that crack. I hit my, I hit the part of my elbow on the side of my notebook and it made my, you know, it makes all your arm go numb. The yeah. funny bone. Yeah. It's not very funny. It isn't. I, but I laugh when it, when that happens. <laughs> really? I just, mm -mm. Yeah, I go. <laughs> well, she laughs inappropriately at a lot of things. Yes. Most things. I do. That is my first go-to when I like, re like really hurt myself is I will laugh first. And then the tears start. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roger Ebert's review. So it was like set in the chess, like there was a chess game, right? Like, or like yes, yes, yes. Like where you could go play chess. And apparently Stanley Kubrick used to go play chess at like a storefront. Thing as a kid but Roger Ebert put perhaps a motif can be found in the movie storefront chess club his gang leader Johnny Clay goes there to meet a professional wrestler named Maurice Maurice is big and strong and is needed to start a fight at the racetrack bar to divert attention during the heist like all the members of Johnny's team he has no idea of the overall plot he just knows his role and his payoff and there's Johnny enough to trust him. A game of chess involves holding in your mind several alternate possibilities. The shifting of one piece can result in a radically different game. Johnny Clay has devised a strategy seemingly as flawless as Bobby Fischer's perfect games, but it depends on all the players making the required moves on schedule. If a piece shifts, everything changes, a possibility Johnny should have given more thought to. Um, the movie is narrated in, exact, in an exact passionless voice by the uncredited Art Gilmore, a veteran radio announcer. He places great emphasis on precise dates and times of day, although really only one time and day are crucial, 4 p.m., the starting of the high stakes horse race. The rest of the narration serves only to confirm what we can see for ourselves, that the events on screen are not happening in chronological order. The plot mm -hmm. jumps around like a chess player's mind. If he does this and I do that, then he dot, dot, dot. I don't Very know if I would put that in nerd alert because it has to do with chess nerds. Um, but I also was like, there were parts of the movie where I was like, what, where are we now? What are we doing? And it is like a game of chess. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. That is very good. It's my nerd alert that has nothing to do with normal nerd alerts. 
but it's good. I have so the 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 uh, the five top films of 1956: The King and I, The Never Seven, The Seven Wonders of the World. I haven't either. Never the King that. and I. Yeah. Oh, it's a musical. I know. I know. Your Brenner's in it. Shall we dance? Shall yeah. we? No. Shall not. <laughs> no, we yeah. shall not. Yeah. Tini and I shall not shall dance. Not. I will dance to my own beat. Thank you very much. We have The Seven Wonders of the World. Number three was Giant. Number two, Around the World in 80 Days. And the number one film of 1956, The Ten Commandments. Oh, oh my God. I've seen The Ten Commandments. I've, I've pretty much seen it over the course of my 42 years on this earth every Easter, <laughs> catching it on ABC. Yeah. Um, the Oscar nominees, Best Picture, The Ten Commandments, The King and I, Giant, Friendly Persuasion, and the winner, Around the World in 80 Days. Hmm. Hmm. I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. Hmm. So, when this came out in May 1956, what was going on? Well... In uh, 1956, Elvis entered the U.S. charts for the first time with Heartbreak Hotel. And minds were blown the way this man was singing. Oh, well, and how he was moving his body. And how he was oh moving. Oh, my God. So I would just like to point out again, what black people make, America takes. We have, Nor happy birthday, America. We have Norma Jean Mortensen. Legally changes her name to Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. Hmm. She dies in 1962, which means she was only Marilyn Monroe what? for eight years. I never wow. really knew that. Wow. Like, nobody ever talks about that. I had, to, no. I had to do the math. I was like, wait. And I thought she died later. So it was like 10 years. Like, Oh, she died in 1966. Like, I forgot that it was 62. And I'm like, I counted on my fingers. I was like, eight years? <laughs> you didn't even have to go to your toes. I know. Doris Day records her most famous song, Case Ross Raw. For the Alfred Hitchcock film, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Morocco declares its independence from France. I, the man who knew too much. <laughs> yes. And this week in France, recommend if you're surprised and wondering why France is burning, check out our cash episode. Um, also check out any episode where we talk about Haiti. And but <laughs> so it's not funny, obviously, what's going on in France. But I will point out that again, this week being a celebrate uh, happy birthday, America. I feel like a lot of times we're like, oh, yes, Britain, because that's who we broke away from. And that the part of America, like, we downplay how much French is actually in America. Mm -hmm. And I think that's on display this week. Although I will point out that so far in the year 2023 in France, 13 people have been killed by police during traffic stops, which is mm. 13 too many, of course. I guess. Mm-hmm. As of June 1st, in the United States, 432 people have been shot by police in the United States. Mm -hmm. So maybe if we 
were a little bit more French. And I just like they are burning shit down. Yeah. Because of 13 people being killed by the police. Yeah. And I'm not mad at that at all. Man, just wow. And also we had another mass shooting in the U.S. But that's just a day that ends in day for the U.S. So. I was just going to say, <laughs> I missed it. I did too. Where was it? In Baltimore. Like Baltimore overnight. Yeah, so it's it's probably not gonna get that much coverage. It's no. you know. Um, There's just too many. You can't keep track of them. Yeah. And thankfully, like knock on wood, so far only two people as of at this time that I last I saw only two people have lost their lives and like twenty eight people injured. So hopefully that continues, but hey, you know, if you're if you flip open your news app and it's a day that doesn't have a mass shooting and you're like, well, it's it's been a minute, then oh, don't just yeah, wait a minute. Just wait a minute and that will change. So, also in March, actually March 12th of 1956, get ready. This is something that I learned today. I learned about this today that happened in, in 1956 because um, was not taught to me in school. You'll find out why. On March 12th, 1956, 82 members of the House of Representatives and 19 senators signed the Southern Manifesto. Oh, oh God. God, no. This can't be good. The Southern Man- <laughs> What is the Southern Manifesto? Well... It was a protest against the 1954 Supreme Court ruling, the Brown versus Board of Education. Oh, wow. The Southern Manifesto is its AKA name because it's also known as the Declaration of Constitutional Principles. So and they, they signed this thing, and basically everyone that signed it were all former traitors to the Union a.k.a. Confederates, Confederate states. 99 were Democrats and two were Republicans. But now you got to remember and you got to keep in mind, this is 1956, and it'll play into a factor when I tell you somebody, the people who didn't sign it. And then keep in mind that in 1956, 99 were Democrats and two were Republicans because it's going into the tide of where we see now. If you're reading this in today's, like 2023 lenses, you would basically say that 99 Republicans and two Democrats signed it because a switch happens. Yes, yes. And a switch happens At because that time, somebody the Democrats didn't. were, yeah. Yeah. The Southern Democrats okay. were very racist. So it was drafted because they were basically pissed off about it. The board of Brown versus the Board of Education. They're just like, what are you talking about? Um, have you heard of Fulbright scholarships? Yes. No. Right. So like a, the Fulbright scholarship, the Fulbright. It's it's a cultural. It's a U.S. cultural exchange with goals of improving intercultural relations and cultural diplomacy and intercultural competence. I've heard of it because people would be like, oh, they're a Fulbright scholar. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I looked it up because um, it was founded by Arkansas Senator J. William Fulbright. 
And I saw his name because this man worked behind the scenes to tone down the very harsh original draft of the Southern Manifesto. So I saw, like, oh, Arkansas Gen- Senator J. William Fulbright. I'm like, Fulbright? Clicked on it, clicked through. I'm like, yes, this is the man that Fulbright, like, he went in and he nicened up the Southern Manifesto. So I thought, oh, that's an interesting—they are not, pro- like, uh, advertising that on the Fulbright scholars and whatnot. So basically, and <laughs> Fulbright went in because you know they were pissed off. So he nicened this up. And in the final version, they didn't pledge to nullify the Brown decision nor support extra legal resistance to desegregation. No, this Southern Manifesto, it was more about states' rights and attacking the judicial branch for overstepping its role. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Southern Manifesto accused the Supreme Court of, quote, clear abuse of judicial power. Oh, and, my God. And promised to use, quote, all lawful means to bring about a reversal of this decision, which is contrary to the Constitution and to prevent the use of force in its implementation. So then when I was reading it, I was like, wait, not sure if their argument is constitutional I'm like, is it because the Constitution, they're claiming that the Constitution doesn't give the Supreme Court the power to decide this? Or are they saying that it's not constitutional because the Constitution doesn't apply to black people? Mm-hmm. Who is to say at this point? So the three Democratic senators from former Confederate, I'm sorry, former traitor states that did not sign this were Estes Kevauer. Hmm saying that wrong, from Tennessee. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it to be pronounced correctly. Al Gore Sr. from Tennessee. Well, oh, actually, he does, because he didn't. These are the three that didn't. Oh, that didn't sign it. didn't okay. sign it. Okay. So this I'm guy, sorry. yeah. <laughs> Al sorry, Gore Sr., you know Al Gore Jr. was like, thank God he didn't sign yeah. that. No. But then also nobody knows about it, so, and they yeah, sound really. like they're going to teach it. And then this is what I was pointing to when I was talking about, oh, there were 99 Democrats a switch a, a, a switch must have happened the, like the democrats must have have fled the party for for some reason what could it be well the third person who didn't sign this was senate majority leader at the time lyndon johnson yeah would go on to become president and what would lbj sign like the civil rights act like all of this it's stuff. amazing how many civil rights things he was involved in he did, and because of that, that is what cemented the South to completely go Republican. And you see in this with the Southern Manifesto, um, another step towards, okay, y'all got equality using the Supreme Court. Well, now we are going to plant the seeds of making sure that that never happens again. And if these are the rules that you're playing by, fine, we're gonna like fix the court to make it so that we can overturn everything that you all wanted to do for progress. Right. So as was witnessed this week, has been witnessed since. I mean, since now, but really in bubbling up and the the crops. The crops are being. Um, what is it when they pick the crops and then they're like eating them? You know. The agricultural term. 
that they I'm not familiar. But you know, yeah. Harvesting the harvest. This is these are the these they're reaping what they sow. Yeah, their labor. Exactly, exactly. Because this it's this has been a long con. We got long con, guys. So this is an actual quote from the Southern Manifesto. Let me um let me take a sip of my colonizer beverage before. They really get in. It's going to probably take a few because there, there are a couple of laugh lines in here, guys. This is real. This was 1956, the Southern Manifesto. Quote. There are a lot of great quotes, but this was... I just wanted to, to chime in with this one. Quote. The unwarranted exercise of power by the court, contrary to the Constitution, is creating chaos and confusion in the states principally affected. This is about desegregating schools. Mm. But really, it's about desegregating the country. Really, it's yeah. about making the Constitution and what this country was founded on, those principles apply to everyone. Right. Even it the is, parking lot attendant. Right. But, but, Ma, it is destroying the amicable relations between the white and the Negro races that have been created through 90 years of patient effort. The, by the amicable relations? The amicable relations mm. between the white and the Negro races that have been created through 90 years of patient effort by the good people of both races. It has planted hatred and suspicion where there has been heretofore friendship and understanding. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. My God. God. This could they're saying this today. Yeah. Like this is the shit that yeah. Marjorie Taylor Green and all that DeSantis, all of them are saying, and you're like, oh, why is the country so divided? It's more divided than it's ever been. No motherfuckers, oh, we've not. always been divided. Yeah. yeah. Y'all just didn't hear the other side. <laughs> Say what the fuck? It's like when your kids go to two colleges and you have the house divided license plate. We just need to make our flag that. It's like, yeah, and they're like, now when you see the American flag, it's like, what, what are you flying that flag for? Are you flying it for Oh, what I believe in the I flag? I saw an amazing, a really good video. Welcome to my TikTok corner. Mm, um, there's this guy and he goes to the, all these right wing things and he's like a, a uh, what's it called? Like, not a spy. Uh, you know, he's interviewing infiltrator? him. He's an infiltrator and he'll wear like something just to be like, you know, so they'll talk to him. Mm-hmm. And he's like going around he's like, isn't it crazy? Like pride month, like, you know, all the, they're making the kids wear these flags and the stuff and like all these like people decked out in this Trump gear be like, yeah, I don't want to, it's been a little bit better this year, but I don't want to see any of those rainbow flags. And he's like, yeah, isn't it crazy? And then they're like making their kids wear this stuff and like implanting those ideas in them. And then meanwhile, all their little kids are running around in Trump hats and like, let's go Brandon flags that they're like, yeah, it's crazy. They're like, Putting all their beliefs on our kids. Oh my God. These people are wild. Yeah. 
They can't see the forest for the trees. But it but it was designed like that. It was designed like that because <laughs> like affirmative action is not for helping them. Like right. if I was thinking about it, it's like if I come across and meet a wealthy white man and he voted for Trump, hey, you know, what what obvious I get it. I, I like I don't condone it. And I'm like, obviously, you only care about yourself, but at least he's voting in his own best interest. Like, for him, this system and this status quo, this Southern Manifesto, yes, it works for him. Mm-hmm. Why does he want to change it? But if you are poor... Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's the crazy. Like, a female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, the, that I, I didn't really go into it, but, like, that women, and specifically white women... um got the best from affirmative action right were the best beneficiaries of affirmative action and most of them not most of them but a a lot are against it because that side is so good at manipulating the storyline of of just advertising it's just better advertising to get people to to think what you want to to think so then you're like it's black people who are taking up all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. black people who are the benefits of government handouts. It is not. Black people have not benefited from the government. At every turn, black people have been kicked in the nuts yeah. and ovaries by by this country. It is only black people who are like, I'm just trying to make this country say what you said it says. Mm-hmm. And yet it's, oh, the entitlement, oh, the, oh, the crime, oh, all of this, all of it. And it's, it's just, they just have better advertising people and, and, you know, the indoctrination and the, the make it easy, you know, wild. Wild. Clarence Thomas doesn't understand diversity. Well, that man understood. He he just hates. He he has a lot of self hatred for himself and his race and his people, and he just decided to get the bag. And yeah. that's also they have the. That's also the other thing. They have the money. So yeah. if you if you are young and poor, regardless of it, like honestly, what's the what's the answer to every question? It's money. So. Mm-hmm. That's really the only color. It doesn't matter what your race is, what caste you are. They have the money, so they can be like, all right, yeah, I understand that you think that, but um, would this and a bag of loot change your mm-hmm. mind? And there's a lot of people who they take that money, and, the, and you see them because <laughs> they're on that side talking crazy and living a nice life. So if you want and think that happiness comes from monetary things, that's also the, the, the rub down is that it's tied up into materialism. And so if you are up into that, then you, you want to pursue that. Hey, they got the money. So if you want to say whatever you want to say for money, you can say it. I'm not black. I'm OJ. <laughs> Okay, we are two reheatables. Desperate Faye. I mean, it was it was great dialogue, but it was it was hard to watch. But it was also funny because it was it was like Adam was saying, Oh John, like a Saturday <laughs> night live spoofs and stuff. 
Okay, when uh, Sh Sh Sherry, that uh, that was dry mascara, and she spit on the brush, and and it was because she had to get it wet and and get the dry mascara on the brush, and then use that little brush to put mascara on your eyebrow, on your eyelashes, and you could use it on your eyebrows too. But she, she had fake lashes too. Oh, she, she takes would... off her fake lashes. Yeah. I don't know. I just... Yeah. Some people, you think you still put mascara on them? Oh, I guess it would. Some people. Scary. I don't know. Uh -huh. It make them even more luscious. Because I'm sure back then the fake ones weren't that great. Ooh, yeah. The blue used to do that. I wore fake eye, uh, <laughs> eyelashes for uh, my senior project and my... I, I'm like, I'm too lazy to do this. This is so much work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, George's loose lips. Oh, George. 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 Chips, as they say. Mm -hmm. He, he was yeah. just. He knew I from mean, the. He's just on. a negative right there. Come on, he <laughs> knew that she was stepping out on him. Um, uh, killing a horse. And yeah. of course the N word. Others? <laughs> um, there were some pretty negative quotes. Oh yeah. There are a lot of good one, quotes. One being just slap that pretty face into hamburger meat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not that good. Not that good. Um Sherry, she was scrubbing her face when she was washing her Wasn't face. Wasn't she? And I um was in Sephora a few weeks ago. If anyone is in the market for a new serum, the Clarins Double Serum. So this is a sidetrack. Uh, maybe like six months to a year ago, I was in Sephora just shopping around. And I heard this guy talking to this lady about this serum like it was going to like it sounded like the most like the what's the fountain of youth mm. and i was like that sounds amazing but for 1.6 ounces it's 132 dollars oh um, i'm gonna cross that note right now but recently i went through a really big issue with my skin i think mm -hmm. from the wildfires it's the only thing i can equate it to and it was so bad that when I walked, I typically have really good skin. I'm not, you know, not to brag, but she's not bragging, but she does. She has I've very honest, good skin. Never really had it's like very white, but it's good skin. <laughs> very white. God damn! All right, that was from her. You know, I, 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 it is. It's very white and very luminous and very uh, gorgeous. <sighs> yeah. Well, bring me, bring me back down a notch. But um, so I, this is I like this is the white podcast where uh, everywhere else it's the the closer you are to a white sheet of paper, the best the better you are. But here I got with the bushes. Yeah. It's just look at Teeny with her white, white. skin. <laughs> it's like really like it is. It's painful. It's beautiful white. It's because painfully it's, white. It's but that's, like. That's still beautiful. It's just a sheet of paper. Society is... has made it. Start. So but anyway, back to the serum. Mm -hmm. So anyway, a few weeks ago, I went in. My skin was so bad that the girl was like, "I say that to say this." Somebody like without like by looking at me was like, "Do you need 
some help. It's like, do you need me to recommend something? And I had, we started selling this new skincare brand at work that I won't name, but I got a bunch of stuff for free. And they're supposed to be like, really, like it's all vegan, you know, whatever. Like right. not a lot of ingredients, whatever. But it just wasn't doing the job. So I was like, already, I was going in there to be like, let me get my expensive face wash and my whatever, my expensive moisturizer, because it clearly works better. Right. And then she was like, you need honey, help. Honey, sit yeah. down. <laughs> oh, wow. So she brought me to this serum. And I was like, oh, my God, I've had this in my cart, but I haven't pulled the trigger because it's way expensive. Do you have a payment plan? <laughs> well, I can do it online with Klarna or Afterpay, but um, she sold me on it. And I have to say, it is the, I will never not buy this. I will be buying oh, this oh. all the time. I'm going to, she gave me all these samples of the eye. They have an eye serum too. I'm going to be buying that. Um, she claims it's going to last me eight months, but I'll be the judge of that. It's, you a don't, little you, bit goes a long way, right? A little bit goes a long way. Um, but Clarins Double Serum Firming and Soothing, Smoothing Anti-Aging Concentrate. I just highly recommend if you're someone who's afraid of the price tag, this is what I would spend my money on. Oh, wow. Because all these other, I feel like these people go in and they, uh, you got all these cheap products and you buy a bunch of them, but this, you just need this. Anyway, I say that to say this. While she was like setting, you know, showing me how to use it, because she, you just like warm it up in your hands and then you just press it onto your face, right? Oh, okay. And she said, you rub your feet, not your face. Oh. And Sherry was just in there rubbing her face to no tomorrow when she, she was washing was. it. Rubbing and scrubbing. And I kept looking at her wash rag to see if it's because she had to have state um, makeup on and it wasn't on the wash rag. Yeah. No, the wash rag did have stuff on it because I was watching it that because i didn't understand what was somebody who doesn't wear makeup i did not understand how the like why the wash rag was dirty and her face i might put her what's going on and then i was like oh was she wearing she had a full thing of like what is it yeah, called like foundation yeah and yeah. so then then she was putting on so that was the remover like cold and she's cream. Like, they yeah they used to put cold cream on everywhere and then wipe that off, and that would take the makeup off too. If ah. I did that, I would be one giant zits. I mean, the the makeup and then the cold. Well, I have a serum for that too. Don't worry. Oh. Do you have sunspot serums? Sun I need a sunspot. Yeah, sun age spots theory. Well, I bet you. <laughs> I bet you Clarence double firming and smoothing anti-aging concentrate. <laughs> it should be anti-aging. It says skincare concerns that this is for dark spots, fine lines, wrinkles, and uneven texture. Well. And I tell you in a week, my, I mean, you guys saw me, you didn't see it in person. You couldn't tell us that my skin felt like a reptile. Like oh, it wow. was like, and it hurt. I was having yeah, I remember it hurt. all over my face. Like your face was chapped. And it was so bad that even like I was already buying your $130 serum. You sold me on another moisturizer. And it was so bad that she was like, do you want me to fix you up just for the rest of the day? 
And I was like, no, no, thank you. I'm going home. Oh. But in a week, it's completely turned around. And it was like two weeks of dealing with that. Okay. Well. Smooth as a baby's butt. Hmm. Um, okay, sorry. No, thank you. I put this as a negative, but I think I meant a positive. Life is like a glass of tea. Yeah, because... Because <laughs> it turned I, into a box of chocolates. Exactly. Yeah. And really, a box of chocolates makes more sense. Like it's, oh, a, yeah. it's like a box of tea and that you don't, you never know what tea you're going to get? Like a glass of tea. No, it says oh, life like is a, like a glass oh, of tea. Oh, like a glass of tea. It's You're just soaking it and then you... It's diluted. It, so maybe something about colonization, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. A pro cultural appropriation? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And then having to have a physical plane ticket. Can't tell you the last time I had a, I printed a boarding pass. Oh, yeah. You still print your boarding passes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you don't fill in a checkbook. Do you still fill out a checkbook? Yes. Oh, she does. God. She does. She does, she does not she does not go to you think she goes to the grocery store and has a car that is attached to her no checkbook? i don't i don't i don't write a check at the grocery store anymore i only oh. write checks for bills but do you when you use your debit card at the grocery store do you fill that transaction into your checkbook no my because i don't use a debit do card oh. i don't i use uh i use my american express it's my debit card because i have to pay that off in full every month and so that's like my debit card. Oh, and then you get the points. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I do that we'll too. See, then we go part. see Aaron. Well, the thing with your parents is that that's balancing the checkbook. So while I don't... Yeah, but like you have an online bank. Like you don't need it. You have an app for that. Right. But I, I enter it into a different app too. Because it's the writing of it down. Because then when you have to write something down... There have been times where I'm like, I don't want to just buy this soda because I don't want to have to write it down. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I don't buy the soda. Are there, like, little a, I don't think they're operating with that mentality, but I oh, get what okay. you're saying. But Yeah, because I do go to the grocery store and yeah. just put stuff in my cart and I just pay for it. And then, you know, not really thinking about it. I'm I'm in a place where I can do that at this point. It's the grocery store. It's not, you know, Louis Vuitton. But, um, see, Poppy was with computers in the 70s. And then when he went into the Army, he was with computers. So, you know, when computers took up a whole semi-truck situation. Like a tractor trailer. Yeah. And so, and, and they had to be air conditioned. So when he was at Fort Hood, he got to be in the air conditioning with the computers. Anyway, um, they ooh, renamed that. Anymore. Yeah. yeah. It'll always be Fort Hood to me, but thank God they renamed it. Anyway, he just, he's not ready for the uh, 2020s. He's, he was there when they invented the computers, exactly. learning it, and he's still like this computer thing. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. My dad, my dad's still paying to have an AOL account. He, he still has... pays to use the AOL. Yeah, so does my dad. 
Um, but you can get the you can have it for free. There's absolutely no point. Wait, is he paying for it? Because he still has the email address, but it kind of makes sense because he's always had that email address. So at this right. point, but is he like paying for it? I don't think we're paying AOL anymore. I don't know. Right. I think my dad does. But um, I mean, there is a definite generation gap with all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And if you ever read The Handmaid's Tale, I'll say it again. It made it very easy to shut down who, whichever group of people you choose to shut down because everything is online. So, um, oh yeah, we are absolutely screwed. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Oh, yeah. And that is his point. He still wants, yeah, like, like you can't take. I yeah, but use... he he's screwed as well because Amazon has all the servers, so that guy pretty much controls everything, like all the servers that everything is connected. So even if he's like. Oh, I we're gonna be screwed. It's still everybody else uses those servers. Right. It's all. It's all. Screwed. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, that's, those are my. <laughs> Mine is oh the the police patrolman, like police. He owes money to a loan shark, so you know that the police guy's on the take. So you gotta love seeing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to the corrupt police out there. That hey, there are good police. There it's, are good police. They officers. just run you out of being a police officer. Did you see like I T like in New York, there's this the case because you know they have those cards that police can give out and it's mm-hmm. basically like if you get pulled over. So yeah. there was this guy who was like, Look, this is Which out of I control. I never believed that was to be real because I never had one of those cards. But it is real, and this guy was like, "Yo, people are printing out like everybody that I'm I'm stopping basically on Staten Island <laughs> as one of That's these cards. cards." And so he he was he was like, "This isn't right. This is the, we're not talking about police killing innocent civilians, unarmed people, like beating like any of that kind of corruption. We're talking about cards like you're they hand out a friends and basically a friends and family card." And they made this guy's life miserable because he was like, hey, can we can we tone it back on these cards that we're handing out? And they made his life miserable. And now there's a case for it just because he wanted to, hey, maybe we need to tone this down a bit. And it's just the cards. So imagine somebody who's like, hey, why don't we stop killing innocent people? You know, like like real reform. That's basically what I'm trying to say. But there is something because uh, Poppy's cousin was a Capitol police officer in D.C. And so we had this parking pass that we could park anywhere. It was signed by Capitol policemen. And there is a there is a power in that, man, because D.C. very hard to park and we could park anywhere just put that on the windshield yeah so uh, that's power so that's mm-hmm. but it's just to they just treated us like regular people mm-hmm. but to just to just go about and to the like the oversight and and i'm missing on the word like to review what what is it reform to reform this aspect oh and yeah, it's just yeah. This, little right. aspect. this little tiny thing the pushback right. on this little tiny thing and yet the whole that's that's just Which also those up. cards blows my mind that that exists like just because you know someone now you're out of a ticket mm-hmm. because 
you get the ticket, then you go go back, and then you're you have to deal with the person. Like, hey, you gave my so and so a ticket. Yes. Yes. And and then it's the repercussion. Yeah, I did because they did something wrong. Part no, that's not how. Remember, we don't have that anymore. Re- remember policing in America, where it came from. <laughs> Happy birthday, America. <laughs> They fugitive slave hunters. So, happy birthday, America. Uh, I also have to say, Faye, man, girl, get some self-worth. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, truly. And she wasn't unattractive. Uh- I know. Here, she said she's not very pretty and she's not very smart. Girl, they don't cast ugly women in roles like this. <laughs> she looked like she'd been using Clarence double serum. Gorgeous and she said that she will always believe that you you don't have to you don't have to convince me Johnny I always believe anything you say yeah Uh, you always gotta question it yeah always question it every single step (sighs) you like you really do you think you don't but due diligence you really do you really do because my man Johnny Clay, played by Sterling Hatem, uh, he might be smart, might be a genius, but he sounds like a goober. <laughs> he just does with his mannerisms. I'm just like, he's a, he's a goober. In my mind, I classify him as goober. He's like white fudge. He's like Wonder Bread. Yeah. Which Wonder Bread can be delicious, but it's also just Wonder Bread. My my aunt in New Mexico talking about my skin again. Used to say it was Uh-oh. wet. Wonder Bread. She didn't like wet bread. Wet bread. No, we're not. I didn't say anything about your skin except that it was luscious and luminous. It's it's the kind of skin that the masters painted. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. The definition of beauty. Yeah. Colonizers, Apparently. you might say. I know. I mean, you, you just married into the wrong family. We, unfortunately, you would be on a pedestal. In any other family. We don't have pedestals in this family. <laughs> um, okay. When... Sherry shows up. So she, we don't see this, <laughs> but she does get knocked the fuck out. She does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I rewatched it and you know, you hear a scuffle and then you hear a pop. <laughs> and, then, and then he carries her in and it's like, anybody know this woman? And George is like, Sherry, my wife. And then he gets popped in the mouth. Yeah, as he should. And then. It made me, it's problematic, but he did give a wink in there because he saw her eyes fluttering because she was mm-hmm. coming to. <laughs> and he said, well, I don't think we're going to have to kill her. And then he winked at my man so that he would, she would hear him was like, yeah, I might have to. And then Teeny's quote, I might have to beat her pretty face to hamburger or something <laughs> to that effect to yeah. keep her quiet. And and then she woke up and they had a conversation. And he realized what that she was a businesswoman, so they could make a, an arrangement. And then finally, I have um, the flimsiest parking fence ever. Just what's that mm. gonna stop? Just... And 
Okay, so that parking area wasn't that large. So he does go to the outskirts of it, but it's like, okay, so there's the perimeter he's parked on. Then there's probably a double parking situation and another perimeter situation. It's not like he was that far from the attendance little hut thing to be able to get away with this shooting of a race. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was terribly planned out. Yeah. But But he was expendable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, those teeth needed some orthodonture. Well, he, maybe he would use his cut for such things. but He doesn't they... need it anymore. Oh, okay, uh, positive reheatable. I love the music. I love the intense music at the beginning. I love the jazz music. Um, I love the music. And that... the absence of music in the fight. Mm. I don't know that I even noticed that. The puppy... Oh, mm-hmm. you cute little puppy. Weren't you scared for the puppy? A little bit. I was. I wasn't. He seemed to be so loving toward the puppy. But the man, the man who is being paid to kill a horse. Kill a racehorse. <laughs> um, wow, they died good though, didn't they? I mean, feet <laughs> up yes. in the air. Uh, and uh, Vince, what was his name? Val. Uh, Doctor Ben Casey. Yeah, that was Val. It, uh, oh, he died good. I mean, he did several tumbling things. Uh, yeah, they died good. Now, I have a question, and I don't know where it goes. Okay. Ooh. The conversation between Marvin and Johnny? Yes! What? A- another WTF moment. I rewatched it. I rewatched I. But I rewatched all of their scenes together to try to piece it together because I was like, oh. "Am I?" I wasn't there a joint su- together. I felt like there was a relationship. Marriage was mentioned. Well, okay. Okay, here's the thing: that apartment where they were all meeting, that was Marvin's. He's J- Johnny said that Marvin had been a bookkeeper for ten years. So if they met, he had known John, Johnny and Marvin had known each other for a really long time. So I guess we are to assume that in one of the previous stints that Johnny did, because he was always getting into trouble, that they probably did time together. And then Marvin went on the straight and narrow because he had been working for the past 10 years. And I guess Johnny was in jail for five years. So, but, so, that, the first, when, there's the scene with Faye, because they're at Marvin's apartment, and a Marvin comes in, and he, the way that he looks at Johnny, and then he goes, I would do anything for you, Johnny, like, he says that, then the scene you're talking about, he basically says, oh, I don't care what, what happens, why don't the two of us run away? Now, run marriage... The way that it, it's very flim, flim, oh, um, flimsy, flimsy, flippantly, not flippantly, clumsy, in, because he's saying, why don't we, the two of us, we go off and we see what the, like just what the world has for us. He's like, it, and then he describes all that. He's like, it can be hard and you can make mistakes and stuff. I'm talking about when you marry the wrong person. 
So he's pretty much saying, come run away with me. Leave and we'll just behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I then think- he says, and then and remember, because the whole thing is, and then Johnny was like, I'm just saying goodbye to you until we meet up at, you know, later tonight and we get give up the money. And then after that, I'll probably never see you again. And he says, just make sure you stay away from the racetrack. So go to a movie or something. And then he shows up at the at bar the drunk. He, like he right. Because he goes up to the bar and was like, can I get a bourbon? And yeah. my guy recognizes him, but he doesn't say anything. He's like, I think you've had too much, buddy. And then he's leaned up like all drunk. And Johnny sees him and he just stands there and doesn't say anything to him. Right. So on the se- upon the second viewing, I'm like, oh... I think maybe this was a haze code type thing where Marvin was in love with Johnny. Yeah, I do too. Because he his whole his whole thing was that he was putting up the money to pay the people. He was basically funding all of the yeah the money needed he was to to seventy five hundred dollars yeah. in nineteen fifty six. And then he was going to get his cut from from the money that was there. And he t- he stole the money from the bookkeeping gig that he mm-hmm. did. So if it went south, like he was like he was basically going to get in trouble, but he didn't care because he oh, wanted to just he was helping Johnny yeah. or he was just like an alcoholic and he just didn't care either way. I don't know. It, it did. It did warrant. Oh, uh, wait, what? A second look. Mm-hmm. I had to rewind and find the right spot. Other positives. Um, I had um somebody called somebody else a meatball. Mm-hmm. Which oh, was that derogatory for an Ital a, a person of Italian descent? I don't know if it's derogatory because when we revisit or when we go to the year like. 2005 maybe it's Snooky and the other girls of the Jersey Shore called themselves meatballs okay I was like they were just meatballs you know yeah. so it comes back in our you know American history I mean I do like the nickname meatball Ron it it is funny I do like meatball yeah. um I also had the puppy yes too. I liked the narration. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for me. And yes. It, yes. Well, wait, wait for the tasty ditty. It's funny. Somewhere they were, there was a sign that said cheese and crackers, 15 cents an hour. An hour. And I'm like, does this just mean you get charcuterie board for 15 cents an hour? Fill her back up. Was that the, uh, the chess and checkers place? Yeah. And I wondered if... Is cheese and crackers a game? Or if you get cheese and crackers when you are playing a game. When you're playing a game, that sounds like a fun time. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I also had that place. Chess was 15 cents, checkers was 15 cents, and Scrabble was only 10 cents. Scrabble. I like a game of Scrabble. Me too. Uh-oh. I don't want to play with me. Yeah, because... Teeny, we can play at the beach. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a version when we... Sold the beach house. I took the Scrabble game because we would always play at the beach. There were like eight different versions in the closet. (laughs) I have a traveling one somewhere that would be perfect for the beach because you put the you know you got to stick them in. We were playing with you. Like I'll play with you. Oh, you're saying like on the beach? 
Yeah. Oh, you're the bitch. I, it's just not my go-to game because what is it she based can't on? Spell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. So it kind of sucks for me. Yeah. It's like, mm. and like I, I'm not gonna go easy. Like I, you know. I know you're competitive, teeny. So I don't have that in my bones. I'll just have to listen to a lot of Eckhart Tolle and just disassociate and be because nobody went easy on me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I didn't grow I'm up like, winning games. What, you think? Wait, you think you need to go easy on me? Not yeah. on you, no. You think that she went easy on me? Not on you. I'm saying for Aaron, if she doesn't want to play. Yeah, okay, like maybe got it, we got have it. to just play like, each other. Right. No, I play and I, I, I am. You I, know, she'll have the luck of the uh, Irish because she Irish. got some Irish in her. Uh-huh. You know, where she can write the the word once and it's going to be $50,000 score. I'm just going to be studying all of the X and Q words. <laughs> yeah. And, and memorizing and then I'm gonna memorize it wrong and I'll be like and then in my head it's just gonna be letters all going in all these different directions I'll be like damn it like uh, what was the movie with the um Anna what's her name it, it, with the chess moves oh um, yeah oh yeah the queen's gambit yeah but yeah. those are gonna be letter scramble letters that don't make anything yeah nothing Oh, damn it. Ooh, I'm going to have to up my... Ooh, I got to start practicing. You got to practice. Yeah. Uh, Those are my positives. I have, like, the whole thing. The shots, the narrator, the story, the dialogue. Mm -hmm. I know. Especially in the beginning. I wanted to write every one of those quotes down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The airline supervisor telling him that that he, he knew... The goober Wonderbread knew that he was just going to take this suitcase with him on the plane. And the, the supervisor was like, oh, well, um, yeah, okay, we'll cancel your ticket. Yeah. Then. And he was just yeah. like, excuse me? Here's now my question. Why didn't he just take the bag, squish it into the suitcase instead of putting, uh, just dumping it? The, because That's then, your question? If it fell off and it opened up, there's still the duffel bag. Well, the duffel bag, they would know because they would probably, I'm guessing he had to take it out of the duffel bag because they would know that that's what they were looking for because it came from the racetrack and the racetrack got heisted. Like it and got knocked sh- off. So they would surely be didn't for know it. when the suitcase exploded and all the money went everywhere. Well, but he- so here's, here was my thing was I didn't understand why well i'll get into that later but i had that it was one it was the reason why i had the that and the whole uh what's whatever scene i had to watch it a second time um but that that suitcase that's Mm -hmm. not fitting today (laughs) he's not care that's not a carry on size today so no exactly (laughs) Just his, and then from last and week, he didn't have bungee cords then. A rope, like from last week. A piece of rope, exactly. So, um, the fight, man. He watch the extras. How how did no one not die in this? The like the bartender cracks him on the head, and then he goes <laughs> rolling on top of it, and then another like policeman goes flying into him. The stunts here were yeah, just they were. nuts, and probably 
uh, problematic <laughs> for safety not reasons. up to safety code. Yeah, at one point, the guy, the wrestler guy, he gets pushed into the bar, and it looks like he, like, cracks his back. It did. Oh, it did. What the hell? Well, all that hair kind of... Oh, man. A lie. A lie. The name, the killing, because it's just singular. Mm-hmm. So until I remembered like all of the the killings that happened, but that was plural. I was like, oh, the, like really, is this the killing? And the killing is the horse. Yeah, it was all about the killing of the horse. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Speaking of great deaths, ma, Sherry's death. Ayo, well, she she it took so long for her to die. <laughs> she did all of the all of the B move like she was just like B movie queen. Fuck that! I should be in the big leagues. And then she goes, just a bad joke without a punch. Die, dies. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Could Joan Crawford do this? <sighs> exactly. Oh man. My man, this is negative reheatables. So my man, Nikki, <clears throat> to quote the old Taylor Swift, karma is a god. Karma is a horseshoe <laughs> flattening your getaway tire. Isn't it? Karma is what happens when you weaponize the N-word. <laughs> and then finally, like the ending. Just I love the ending. I had no... I was so happy that I hadn't that this ending somehow had not been spoiled. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it's it's up there with the, the Ocean's original Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. ending, where it's just and still Sterling hated. She face like go run and he's just like, eh, what's the use? He's just so. <laughs> I'm stuck with you and no money. Oh, oh no, I'll I'll go with them. Oh, I'll man. find me another Marvin. Yeah, man. So those are my positives. Okay, quotables. I'm sure a man in your position wouldn't deliberately antagonize his creditors. That's all I'm thinking of. That's the mob, man. That the police is into. <laughs> yeah, just a big joke without a punchline. That's a good quote. They can put you away just as fast for a $10 heist as they can for a million-dollar job. Mm. Sherry, go fix me a drink, George. I think I'm developing some pains myself. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was a great one. I put yeah. that on my, my year-end best, man. <laughs> I often thought that the gangster and the artist were the same in the eyes of the masses. They're admired and hero-worshipped, but there is a present and underlying wish to see them destroyed at the peak of their glory. Mm. Mm-hmm. I have, say a tiny, what's the good word? And he said, as always, having a ball. I know. It's like Just, the living the dream. Well, it was, was, wasn't it in the morning and he was just drinking at the bar? Mm-hmm. I'm like, He's is having a ball. Uh, yeah. Play it smart, stay in character, you'll have money. That's not always true. Um, t- don't you drink too much beer, Mike. You know how it leaves you the next day. <laughs> Feel that? 
And those are mine. I have, you'd be killing a horse. That's not first degree murder. In fact, it's not murder at all. In fact, I don't know what it is. (laughs) What is it? It's murder. Murder? Like that is murder. I mean, yeah. here's, Here's my thing. I think horses are weird, but I don't want them shot. Like no. I can I can appreciate them, but I don't know. There's just something about horses to me that they're so weird. They're just all that on mass the horse? on the on those little yeah those little legs. Yeah, they're they're so red. delicate. You break your yeah, leg. Really like when are. I found out that when you break your leg, I mean you break. If I'm a horse, speaking as a horse, <laughs> when you break your leg, you, you're, you're just yeah you're dead. Yeah. As someone who's, glue I fractured my foot, and I was like, if I was a horse, I'd, they'd kill me for this. Mm-hmm. But it actually makes sense because it's how, like, yeah, evolutionarily speaking, it's how they are able to do what they do, like be so the fast. Between a thoroughbred and a Clydesdale. Well, I'm just, I'm talking. I'm also talking about just horses, like all horses, how they're built. But if you see the Clydesdale, they're. <laughs> Their ankles are very similar to your mother's. I mean, yes. they have substantial ankles, so they can do the hard work. But the, but if their ankle breaks, yeah. like they're still being put down. So yep. that's, I just always think that that's always weird. And when I remember when I was in second grade and I had a classmate who was into horses, oh, yeah. and she almost died because the yeah. horse stepped on her. And I was mm. just like, yo, why? They're, they're such huge ants. Like, it's more of a respect kind of thing, yeah, but yeah. they're so strong and powerful and they can just kick you. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. So I've always been like, horses are weird respectful. to me. Respectful. I'm like respectful, but maybe I'm kind of also scared of horses. Like I, I might I appreciate their beauty, but That's I'm also. really high up there. I was, yeah. I was not comfortable on the horse. I haven't ridden on a horse, but I remember I rode on an elephant. Mm-hmm. Oh, with the. Zoo. It's a zoo, yeah, mm. and and their hairs were so thick, like on its skin. I remember looking down, and you think it's a hair, and it was a hair, but it was just like the thickness of a quarter. At least to little kid me, I was yeah. just like, "That's their hair. It's so thick. <laughs> That's one hair." I thought I had hairish. Yeah, I I missed everything about the race because I was just looking at their skin and like be like, "That's their hair." What? Um, what do I have? Oh. This, because this is, this, I love this, um, this is an example of the dialogue. He says, all right, sister, that's a mighty pretty head you got on your shoulders. You want to keep it there or start carrying it around in your hands? And then she, <laughs> she replies to that. Maybe we could compromise. Put it on your shoulder. Yeah. She had to be nice, don't you? Yeah. 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 This is basically like, I'm going to tear your head off. It's like, well, do you have to? I'm a businesswoman. Yeah. You're a businessman. So, those are my quotables. Okay. Uh, LVP, I have George as a runner up, but. As a character, Sherry is is an LVP. <gasps> I mean, she's great to watch, but 
as far as a um like moral standing from a moral morality ground yeah i mean she is but okay she died so she got hers i guess i lvp right mm-hmm. yes ma'am i had doing everything for the money yeah my mm-hmm. man just get out of jail and he's like back out he's not even gonna spend the night at home once before he's back at it because Because he's gonna be whimpering all over him he it's the whole one more one more one more job and i'll go straight the one con the Mm -hmm. one that's gonna Mm -hmm. set me up for life i have honorable mention me because I kept getting so distracted by the frames and the beauty of the shots mm-hmm. that I would completely miss what was being said. I would be off of my own head, talk like, look at the shadow. The- oh, my gosh. And then I would have to rewind it. So this is the most I've ever rewound a film because I would, we would oh, get wow. to the end of the scene and I'd be like, wait, what just happened? What just I was happened? so trans- So. This is one of those times where, because my mind would would wander, if I saw this in the movie theater, I would have just gotten lost. But because I could be like, wait, that scene ended, do you know what's going on? And I would be like, no, I do not. And then I would rewind it and watch it again so that I could really follow it. And I was so thankful for that because it was so well worth it. Because then when I got to the end, I knew everything that was going on because I would catch myself and be like, you are not, you were, you went off on this mental tangent as anyone who listens to this podcast knows. <laughs> and I was able to like reel it back in so that I could follow everything. And I'm like, oh, okay. But my real LVP is Johnny. Okay. So when I wrote this, this was before I went back and watched a second time. So at first I was like, why didn't he buy a good sturdy suitcase, suitcase? before the end? <laughs> but here's the he bought when you watch it a second time he goes to an actual luggage store and he buys that like alligator looking like hand thing and that because the whole plan was he gets the money he takes it out and then he meets up at the place and they divide the money so his cut of the money was going to fit neat into that little suit handheld briefcase oh, space yeah and then because earlier because also a good reheatable is that he dropped off his their suitcase he and Faye's luggage he checked that in in the morning with Free the ticket check. and they were like okay we'll see you at night and he was like, I'm going to bring in uh, just a carry-on. Yeah, that's he right. He said, that's cool. Just make sure that you come back to and check in to this desk before your flight. And your flight leaves at like 9 o'clock or whatever. Thank you for flying American Airlines. So he had, that's when he checked in. And we see it. And I had forgotten about that. That the luggage that goes in. Right. So then he bought a nice, his little like attache or briefcase mm-hmm. or whatever case. Goes there. He sees the dude stumble out dead, like not dead, but basically stumble out. And he's like, ah, Shot in the face. Yeah. Says, okay, it's everything's off. I have to keep all of this money and later divide it up to if anybody survived, whatever just happened in there. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to, I guess the first place that he could see and buys, he said he buys the biggest suitcase that they yeah. had. Yeah. 
and that's when he dumps it in. But why wouldn't you? I guess at that point he everything was the plan spinning out of control. Yeah. yeah. But still, it just looked like he just bought a huge suitcase and he didn't check the sturdiness of it no, at all. Because no. even when he was when he made the transfer to the cash into the suitcase and he tried to do the locks, the locks didn't work. I know. And that's when I'm like, well, maybe would it? Maybe you just take like your cut and then. But he was trying to be the good guy with a heart of gold and keep For it all together. Gangster. With himself, but then you didn't. I, yeah, there was a, a whole bunch of that. So that he still he still gets my LVP. Yeah, because of the the suitcase debacle. You you gotta. I mean, you gotta know that you're. Yeah. You just you're putting two two million dollars in 1956 is equal to 22.3 million dollars today. Just mm. you, you gotta know. Then I was thinking, oh, man, he should have bought a Louis Vuitton. But as anybody who travels a lot knows, you don't want the best luggage because those are the ones that are going to get pilfered. Mm -hmm. No, you want just something that's sturdy, dependable. Dependable. Yeah. He he doesn't Mm -hmm. know about dependable. But he was also in a bind to buy that. Like, he bought a dependable. Exactly. Cause you know he's, he's like I gotta get out of town, man. But just just when that and it, and you know it was just a little dog and that lady didn't have she was she have her dog on a leash or anything? Of course not. Of course not. <sighs> little poodle. Um, MVP. My MVP is the end. I loved it. I mm. loved the money. Fl- now they said that the propellers would have cut all that money up into shreds, Ooh. but um. I love the end of it. There's a tasty titty for the original ending. Oh. Um, my MVP was originally my runner-up is the length. Mm. Yeah. They fit everything. They fit everything they needed to. Exactly. But my MVP is Stanley Kubrick because of how different. I like when there's somebody who can do different things. Like mm-hmm. it's. I haven't seen all of his many of his movies, but. It's a, it seems like they are all very different and all just as good as the other ones. Like, he has so many heavy hitters that are just, like, completely different from each other. Yeah. Because there was like a point... Like, Quentin Tarantino, like, you know it's Quentin Tarantino. Wes yeah. Anderson, it's Wes Anderson. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, so, I appreciate that. He was my MVP for that. At one point, I went, how many times are we going to see these Clydesdales move the starting gate but that was the point. That was like a yeah. It took a minute to be like oh, we're seeing this. Thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is the same story, but this is this person's point of view mm-hmm. at that time. Oh mm-hmm. wow, that's right. Mm-hmm. So my honorable mention, controversial, is um Sherry. I know she was so good. She was so tired of her life with George. Yeah, and, and who wouldn't be? But she and she also knew it was her own fault because she bet on the wrong horse. Yeah. You know, she she had always and she was smart enough. And she was like, why did I file for this guy? And she was probably thinking he was short 
and he was gonna he like, had nothing else going for him yeah he has to have money he's gonna know how to have money because look at him it's it's what he then look at does. me he's gonna do what he has to do to make me happy exactly and she was just like wrong but my real MVP is TPB Teeny picks bangers. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I'd never heard of this, so I yeah. Just, I had heard of it and always wanted to see it, and I was just like, "Oh, damn, Teeny picks bangers." Go again. You're welcome. Okay, recasting. Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Either oh, yeah. one of them. Oh yeah, that's a good. It's one. already been recast. Yeah, true. <laughs> Teeny, did you do a recasting? I sure did not. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. I did. So for Johnny, I did Harry Belafonte. Yeah, a much, um, a much more suave and deboner mm-hmm. Johnny. For Faye, I did Ruby D. For Val, I did Rudy Ray Moore. But wait, they're going to get away with it th- in, with this cast, right? Probably, well, no, it's America. Happy birthday, America. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> nope. Okay. Um, for Marvin, I did Nat King Cole. Oh, okay. For George, Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, he'd be good. And for Sherry, Eartha Kitt. Oh, wow. Mm, that'd be good. Ooh, with that uh-huh. voice. Uh-huh. Oh. So I just looked at the like, the black actors. There was like a list of them, but it was by like decade of birth. So I just went to the, who was born in the 1920s and the 1910s and just picked from there. Like, oh, yeah. So are, this would be the like... Kids, are the kids saying... Go fix me a drink, George. I think I'm developing some pains myself. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Sammy Davis Jr. coming in and like, yeah. So I just, these are all people who are actors of this time. So that mm-hmm. they could have been, but you know. Tasty. And the parking lot attendant would be Rod- Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> I had no respect. And he's like, get away from me, honky. <laughs> it just doesn't. But see, it just doesn't have it the doesn't. same. It doesn't. Like, oh, no. shuddered. Okay, so we're to tasties. FB. FB. What would FB be? Facebook. No. Uh, Kirk Douglas sought fuck boy. out. Fuck boy. Oh, fuck boy, Kirk fuck Douglas. Boy. Thank you, Christine. Fuckboy Kurt Douglas sought out Kubrick for making his 1957 film Paths of Glory after seeing this. Mm -hmm. Which I'm interested in Paths of Glory. Uh, It was, as we've said, a huge influence for non-linear films because it didn't start at the beginning and, and go linearly to the end. You kept jumping back and forth by people's perspectives. And um, we said Quentin Tarantino and other people were greatly influenced. Kubrick took no fee for director on this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Sterling Hayden got a a mighty um, paycheck for this. The Forty Second Street Chess and Checker Parlor is it was in New York City, and Kubrick used to go there. Mm-hmm. And on so Second Street, the cola guy, and they they mocked up to the in the movie to make it look just like that place. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. The body count, eight people and one horse died. Damn. Kubrick was 28, went 28 when he made this. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Aaron said that the two mil would be 22 million 300 now. The 2,500 that um, I think. Uh, 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 oh, Nikki. Nikki got would be 27, almost $28,000. And who was getting five thousand? The probably the cola guy, the wrestler. Yes, he was going to get like fifty six thousand. I mean, that's a huge payday. Fifty six thousand, and how much was the other guy getting? Uh, twenty eight thousand. In Half today's money? Yeah. That's for shooting a horse. Yep. Seems a little. I, well, I guess my standards are low. You're going to have to pay me a little bit more to shoot a horse. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, I mean, if it went according to plan, he's in a parking lot. Nobody's he's around. Not, yeah, he but shoots. he... I feel like he's not getting out. <laughs> well, of I course. <laughs> you know? Well, we know that. So, so those were mine. I have that the test screenings went really bad for this film. Yeah, really. And so, yeah, so then Kubrick went back and re-edited it in a linear fashion, but then that made it even more confusing. So then he went back to the original out-of-order cut, and like Ma said, that was very influential on Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. And then the narration, that was ordered by the studio. Oh, really? To try to explain what the fuck is going on. Oh, thank God. But here's the thing. Kubrick hated the idea. Oh, well, So if you really listen to the narration, much of the information that the narrator is providing is false or mistaken. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. And now I want to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff about the... Like the race number, I oh race is it race six is it race uh, yeah. seven? Maybe that's why it was so confusing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things about like the different times when really the only time that matters is I think like the four right. p.m. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he just he just didn't want, but the studio was like, no. I'm guessing after they were like, no, now you have to go non-linearly, and now you have to, yeah. It um. He, like you said, he took no fee for the film because the budget was $320,000 and United Artists put up the $200,000 of that. And I forget the guy. So Kubrick met... Uh, wait, I have it. He met this guy, the co-producer of it, James B. Harris. So James B. Harris had a production, a distribution company, and I think he sold it. And he was kind of looking for his, like, another, um, the next big thing, I guess, if you will. And he ran into Kubrick. They were playing chess. I don't think they were at the 42nd 
um, that that place. I think it was more of like one of the park. Like if you watch Searching for Bobby Fisher, like a chest. That's at least how I picture it. But this could be wrong. And he started talking to Kubrick, you know, who was a young man, and he was really um, struck by how smart and intelligent and creative Stanley Kubrick was. And he was like, I am hitching my wagon to this guy. So he and Kubrick formed a partnership and this was the first film of their partnership. So basically Kubrick said that he wanted to make films that were good, but were also cheap. And he said that that wasn't an incompatible thing. And so Stanley Kubrick would work on, you know, making the film and, the other guy will work on getting the money. So he raised the extra 100K or whatever to, uh, you know, finance the film. And he let Stanley Kubrick do what he wanted to because he knew that it wasn't, at least at this time when he was young and didn't have a, a name to him, um, right? he would get it into budget. Later, when you hear about like his last film, Eyes Wide Shut, and the perfectionism and the doing scenes over and over and over again, that's the Stanley Kubrick who has made all of those other movies mm -hmm. so that he has the clout and stuff to, I can, you know, do the whole I can run over. But this was young Stanley Kubrick trying to get his foot into the door to be able to make movies for a living. Um, this was the first film that Stanley Kubrick had that had a director of photography because due oh. to union rules, because this was his first union picture as well. So union rules said that he couldn't be the director and the director of photography. So he and Lucian Ballard, the cinematographer, clashed a lot because remember, Stanley Kubrick was a photographer. photographer. Right. So basically, Ballard stopped going to dailies because they were just it was. You know, Kubrick's like, you're going to do it the way I want you. And you can imagine this guy's like, why does this young kid know? You know, just the ego clashing that's going involved with that. Um, originally, Stanley Kubrick bought the rights to a different Lionel White book. He bought the rights to The Night of the Follow. No, he bought the rights to The Snatch. But hmm. due to the Hayes Code... You couldn't mm -hmm. make a film about kidnapping of children. So he swapped the rights. Lionel was like, all right, that's cool here. You want to, you can make this one. And it was clean break. Or maybe Kubrick yeah. was like, give me clean break. So they just swapped the rights. So that's how he got it for this. The night of the following, which is the film version of the snatch was made in 1969, which was after the Hayes code. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, the original ending had Johnny running after the money and getting sucked into the propeller blade. That would oh. have been even better. Wouldn't yeah, that have I love been that. Better? Mm -hmm. And then Faye just falling <gasps> apart. But American Airlines was like, huh, no. Uh. <laughs> what the hell? Like, we have safety standards in place to prevent such a thing from happening. <laughs> Like, oh, not on our watch. <laughs> but still, like... But I get it. Y'all called out, like, they were American. I was like, yeah, sure, you can mention our name. And then they're like, you want what now? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, that would have been so good, though. That would have been a Quentin Tarantino. But how would they film it in the Hayes Code? Like, it, we wouldn't have seen... It. It's yeah. so much better to just see the money just go it off. Is. It is. And him just going... Well, fuck. 
and you know that there because I kind of thought it too. I was like, wait, why is nobody running out there? Never mind the whoo, giant turbines that are just <laughs> suck you into it. So. Oh wow, that has been the killing. Nineteen fifty six, the movie. Teeny. Teeny. Wow, this was a great one. I loved yes. it. I know. Yes. Now I'm like shaking. I was like, who what I have to pick a movie. Shaking yes. in your boots, yeah. What's yes, gonna she be? Do, and I'm so glad it's not me. Well, you guys, I need your help because I I picked three. So there's uh-huh. three films. Uh-huh. There's a nineteen forty-nine film that you can watch on Amazon. It's an hour and twenty-eight minutes, but it's a war film, and it's it's probably not gonna be like light viewing. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's probably gonna. I've already mentioned it, the name of the film pre- previously in this episode, and it's probably gonna be along the lines of a lot of Happy Birthday America. If you get my drift. Well, that's that's so Aaron. Yeah. Then okay. we have nineteen forty what? Nineteen forty-nine. Okay. Okay, what's option number two? There are three options. Number two is 1972, an hour and 57 minutes, but this is an action thriller. So it's in the, Mm. like, summer blockbuster type of thing. And it has to do with the ocean. Ooh. I've already done Jaws, okay. Star-studded cast. And then we have 1983, an hour and 48 minutes. And this is just a classic summer comedy. So it's, 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 I vote, much- my vote is number two. Uh, a blockbuster, yes. A I summer blockbuster so. action thriller with the ocean involved. Mm hmm. Okay. What, what, what do you say, Ma? I am. I always side with my daughter-in-law. Okay. Okay. Keep keep vamping. Keep vamping. Okay, we're going to 1972, Ocean. So hopefully there's a shark. Do you have any guesses? I'm I'm looking up the cast because it's crazy. Yes. Okay, so it's gonna be it's it's like a towering inferno situation, mm-hmm. but it's it's set in the ocean but it's not jaws we've done that so it's it's not titanic because we've done that later um star studded cast star studded so we got gene hackman we got shelly winters (gasps) beside an adventure yeah oh Oh. yeah this will be a fun one how do you spell poseidon Oh, P O S E I D O N. Yeah, I remember this one. This is, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, this was when, yeah, like the Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, um, the, the, you threw all the huge casts to it. I mean, it's basically like like the Titanic, right? It's this huge mm-hmm. ship, and it's sinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be okay, because when we go to the beach, we're not going on a ship, so we don't <laughs> have to worry about that. Yeah. Because Shelly Winters ha- used to be a swimmer. Now, it, her character, 
And so she could hold her breath for a long period of time, which is uh-huh. needed to get from one place to another. I remember that. Oh, mm. oh fun. Yes. Let's mm-hmm. do a blockbuster. Fun. Yes. And let's um, dedicate this, <laughs> the killing, to uh, <laughs> Ruth Stone. Dedication. Oh, the, yes. killing. <laughs> the killing. No, not because of that, but this episode with all our love. Here, uh, here. There we go. Well, okay. This has been The Killing, which is uh, film noir. I mean, oh, I love but there be a more gone with the bushes thing. And now we're going to go to, it's not going to be film noir, but it does get a touch dark. A touch, oh, you think? I think I think it was a couple of summers. I always wanted to do this movie because it would be on sling and just putting it on. And I was like, oh, we have to do this at some point. So it's just a nice summer, like just yeah, on ah! vacation time. Not so fast. Ah, uh, Gene Hackman, Shelley Winters, Ernest Borgnine. I think is also yes. In it. I think he is. Oh, there are some others in there too. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Killing. We strongly recommend you watch it, um, not even an hour and a half. Oh, it just flies by so fast. And mm-hmm. and yet you're still, you know what, though? It might take you two hours because you might have to rewind. Yeah, you might have to rewind. rewind. I guarantee you're going to rewind that conversation between Marvin and Johnny. Is, is this man just, is this, what? Am, what? what? Exactly. You know, wrapping up Pride Month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, there you go, listeners. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.